Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I made a comment the other day about speedy trials. and I said the Constitution guarantees you a speedy trial but doesn't define what speedy is. And then I said speedy trial, of course, is either an oxymoron or simply a misnomer because there's really no such thing. You, no, no one gets a speedy trial. And so in response, that Stephen of the PH sent me a note and said, Steve, check this story out that just happened. From Reason.com, Billy Binion wrote a story seven years since he died under a cop's knee, his mom is getting her day in court. So the man died seven years ago. The mother filed a lawsuit. Now, this is a lawsuit as opposed to a criminal case, but trust me, neither are faster than the other. <laughs> They're both equally slow. So the man's story shows how far the government goes to prevent victims of abuse from seeking recourse. And yes, they do put up delay tactics and file motions and all kinds of stuff, and you can get tied up in appeals, which is a lot of what is happening here. But last month, the seven-year anniversary of Tony Timpa's death came and went, and recently a jury selection began in the civil trial surrounding that death. And so that finally started, and it provides an apt example of the legal odyssey of victims of government misconduct must navigate should they want to get recourse. Now, their argument is that the Dallas police violated their training when they pinned this man to the ground for about 14 minutes and he died. So it's been seven years since that happened and the trial's happening now. Uh, seven years are filled with roadblocks put in place by the government, which almost deprived Timpa's family, not only of stating their case for a jury, but of learning the very basics because he died back in August of 2016, and it took his mother quite a while to even figure out how he died. So the man dialed 911 and told a dispatcher that he was having a mental health crisis. He mentioned he had schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety. He had not taken his medication. So two private security guards handcuffed him and waited for the cops, but he had called 911. The police arrived, and for approximately 14 minutes and 7 seconds, an officer, who, by the way, was promoted last year, dug his left knee into Timpa's back, pressed his left hand against Timpa's shoulders, and periodically applied his right hand to the right shoulder, while the man repeatedly cried out for help, yelling that he's going to die. He eventually went quiet, and guess what? Because of the risk associated with the prone restraint, the Dallas Police Department orders its officers to place subjects in an upright position or on their side as soon as they stop resisting. Instead, the man's silence induced the officer to joke that he heard the man snoring, after which two other officers suggested that scrambled eggs and tutti-frutti waffles might rouse the man from his slumber. So they, they thought they'd put him to sleep. You're going to kill me the man had said before he went quiet. An autopsy found he suffered sudden cardiac death due to the toxic effects of cocaine and the physiological stress associated with physical restraint. He was 32 years old. Some people would say, Steve, he had drugs in his system. That did it. No, no. The coroner says it was two things that killed him, the drugs and the restraint. Presumably without one, he would have lived. Yet his mother would go years without even knowing what happened to her son, despite the fact she was trying. After they notified her that her son was dead, the cops told her several different stories. Once they told her that he'd had a heart attack at a bar, they also told her that he'd collapsed by his vehicle, 
and also that he felt unresponsive in an ambulance. And of course, those are all different stories. So they could not adequately explain why he would have grass in his nose and bruises on his arms, which were apparent when the mother saw her son at the morgue. She then filed suit against the police, but the department refused to give her the body camera footage, threatening her ability to effectively outline what happened and meet the minimum standard required to file such a suit. The government then moved to have her complaint dismissed for not being specific enough, despite that it was the government that was withholding the specifics. So that's the story. And what we're getting at right there is she asks to see the body cam footage. They go, you can't see it. So she files a lawsuit and alleges that her son died due to the actions of the police. And they go, well, describe exactly how he died. She goes, I can't until they give me the footage. Oh, you don't know how, I died, how he died then, do you? So that, that's a problem. So you, you need to be more specific. You see, pleading has got to be very specific. But the other problem, of course, is qualified immunity. We've talked about this before, and qualified immunity is the concept that police officers who are doing their jobs can't be sued when they just do their jobs. But if they do something that's outside the realm of their job or they screw up in such a big way that it obviously shouldn't be protected, then they lose the immunity, the qualified immunity. And so what they have said, by the way, qualified immunity is a judicial invention, meaning it was not passed as a law. It was just courts made it up. The Supreme Court made it up. And so qualified immunity, they say, now, before you can go after an officer for for doing something above and beyond, you have to show that they would be on notice that what they're doing was wrong. And on notice means that there has to be a case locally, you know, in that circuit, in the federal circuit, where that exact same thing had happened and a court had held that that was outside of qualified immunity. Well, of course... To get that case, you'd need precedent. That precedent would be a case that would have required precedent. That would have required precedent. And so you can never get that first case except for the most egregious, egregious examples. And so believe it or not, there was a case that say that if you hogtie somebody and they die, that's outside of qualified immunity. Turns out this man was handcuffed and his feet were restrained. So you might think, oh, it sounds like he's hogtied. No, it turns out that hogtied is a little different because here they used handcuffs on his hands and zip ties on his feet. That's not hogtied. So they actually argued and got a court to buy that um, hogtying somebody is not the same as handcuffing them and zip tying their feet behind their back. No, that's not, that's not, that's not the same. See, if they'd hogtied him, they would have recognized they were doing something wrong. But doing it this way, nah, nothing wrong here. Nothing to see here. And so those arguments went on and on and on. And eventually it took her seven years to get to jury selection. Now, you might say, Steve, why would they put up a fight like this? Because don't they know they're going to lose that eventually? No, number one, they don't lose these. Quite often they win these. And second, what they're hoping to do is get you to quit, you know, wear you down and so on. But they also know that there's a major problem. Cases like this that go to juries don't go well for the police. So they will do everything they can to keep this case from getting in front of a jury. And that's why. So when you see someone fighting to get out of a situation, you have to look at it and go, oh, that's a bad situation for them to be in, right? That's why they're trying to get out of this. They don't want to get in front of a jury.
because they're going to have to defend themselves. So the plaintiff's side is going to put in the evidence about how this man called 911 and then wound up dead. And the cops were joking about bringing in some breakfast to see if that might wake him up. He's dead. And those kind of jokes might be funny at 2 o'clock in the morning at the side of the road or something, but they're not funny in a courtroom. And I understand this didn't have the side of the road. I was trying to just make random examples. And um, so what, what do the police do? How do they defend this case? Are you curious? I can tell you what they're going to do. They're going to bring in a whole bunch of experts on police technique. And they're going to bring in a bunch of experts who are going to say things like, yes, yes, see, the police encounter people all the time who are bipolar, off their meds, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous. And uh, you know something? If you, if, you don't, if you don't handle these cases just right, that guy can kill you and kill you and your partner. He can kill a bunch of other people. you got to do what you can, and you have no idea what this person is capable of. So these men did exactly what they needed to do. And the fact that he died, obviously, it's the drugs in his system. And so they're going to bring in a whole bunch of witnesses, uh, police officers in uniforms with all kinds of badges and medals all over them. You know, like when those Russian generals, uh, better yet, those North Korean generals show up and they got badges and medals down to here. Bunch of cops like that. And then a bunch of like FBI agents and stuff. But now these guys are wearing suits, wearing extremely expensive suits. They're wearing suits more expensive than the attorney's suits, okay? And they get up on the stand. They've written books on police procedure. They've taught classes for 20 years at the academy. And this is exactly what they have to do. If they hadn't done this, all kinds of other people could have died. So that's why. But there's still a good chance they're going to lose, and they're going to lose hard. So that's why they don't want this in front of the jury. But there you are. We'll see what will happen. I will try to find out what happens with this case. But there's a story about a speedy trial. Again, it's a civil trial, I understand. But Stephen the PH, thanks for sending it. Uh, Reason.com ran the story. It's a great story. Billy Binion wrote it seven years since he died under a cop's knee. His mom is trying to get her day in court and is finally getting it. Questions or comments? Put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Sarcasm is just another service I offer.